welcome to Body Truth, a podcast that explores the relationship that we have with our body, food, and life told through a storytelling lens. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons. I'm a certified intuitive eating and body image coach committed to changing the cultural narrative around how we take up space. Each week, you'll hear from thought leaders who are ready to dismantle shame through sharing vulnerably. We'll discuss everything from individual body image stories to challenging cultural messages, reshaping beliefs, practical support tools, and more. We'll laugh, we'll cry, we'll heal. Let's take the next step towards embodying our truth together. Hello. Welcome back to the show. Welcome if this is your first time. So stoked that you're here. And I am so excited about the guest that I am about to introduce you to today. I have Daisy Gillespie on the show. We are jamming on separating style from self-worth. Truly, this is a conversation that I have been dying to have ever since I started this show. And I just don't see that many health at every size aligned stylists in the industry right now. So finding Daisy was not only a breath of fresh air, but super fun too. We had a blast recording this conversation. Daisy has a really powerful personal body image journey. She really infuses this into her mission and her purpose and the work that she does today in her business and how she works with clients. And she's super freaking honest. Like one of the things that I appreciate so much about Daisy is that she has become a student of her own life and she is really committed to learning and growing and being on this body journey, this relationship that we have with ourselves and our bodies. And this really comes through in our conversation, but I just wanted to point this out because I'm constantly inspired by people that I see really leaning into this. And I really see this with Daisy and I know this makes her an even more powerful stylist and coach for the work that she actually does with her clients. So I'm really grateful for her grateful for the time that she spent with us. Let me tell you a little bit about her before we get into the conversation today, because there is so many things that we talk about, but a little bit more about Daisy. As a personal stylist, Daisy Gillespie intuitively guides her clients to discover what they feel best in. She helps them let go of the external messages they've been given about what they should wear and get to the heart of what's making them uncomfortable about their clothes. Through their work building a functional wardrobe, Daisy's clients make a mindset shift from thinking they need to wear what's flattering to unapologetically taking up space in the world. After a lifetime of jobs in high-stress careers that didn't suit her highly sensitive, introverted personality, Daisy started Mindful Closet in 2013 in an attempt to create a more emotionally stable lifestyle. She has two boys, ages three and seven, and a husband she adores who is well aware of her mental load. Ah, I love her. And we talk about so much of everything that's in her bio in this conversation. So hang on to your hats. (laughs) And if you're not wearing your hat, just take a deep breath. 
Um, really excited for this. Check the show notes or go to my website, caitlinparsons.com. You'll find all of the information that we talk about in the episode page, as well as all of the ways that you can get plugged into this community. Go to the events page of my workshop and you'll see the most recent upcoming events that we have coming up, I think, at the time of this recording. I will be doing a Body Resilience Masterclass with Fill Up Your Cup. It's a completely free event on the 28th or 29th of October. It's the last Friday in October at 9 a.m. Pacific. Highly encourage you to join us for that. It's going to be super educational, informative, and um, I really believe in workshops that don't just dangle the carrot and the stick. I actually like to teach so that you can move forward and use tools that you feel supported by. So if you're into all of that, come hang out, join us. All you have to do is go to the events section of my website. You will see the link to sign up there and head over to the episode webpage to read the transcript, definitely get plugged into Daisy's world and all of the other things that you're interested in. Sending you a lot of love and enjoy this conversation with Daisy. Daisy Gillespie, welcome to the show. I'm so excited you're here. Thanks, Caitlin. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Me too. Let's jump in because we have so much that we're going to talk about and I'm dying to hear your body image story and really grateful for you sharing it with us today. So the first question that we ask everyone on the show is your first body awareness moment. So what did that look like for you? That moment where you realized I'm in a body and apparently this means something in the world that I'm living in. Just share your truth and also how that moment impacted your relationship with your body and or food moving forward. Sure. Well, I will, you know, before I even start, put the disclaimer that I have thin privilege, that I've always enjoyed thin privilege, that I currently enjoy thin privilege, even after all the changes my body has gone through. Um, and so part of me is naturally hesitant to take up space with my story because, um, you know, I, I want to save that space for people who have been in more marginalized bodies as well. But um, yeah, I mean, my story is that I was like the skinny kid who got teased for people asking, like, does your mom feed you? Because, you know, I had like knobby knees and just really skinny <laughs> limbs. And um, that was you know, how I became aware of my body. I think also um, something I, you know, that makes a big impression on me from when I was growing up is I'm the oldest of, of three girls. And so I have two younger sisters and our family likes to eat. Like we like to spend time talking about food and preparing food and getting food and eating food. And, um, it was always interesting to me. It was always something I was aware of even early on that my body reacted differently to food than, than my two sisters and that I was able to kind of have this big appetite and be excited about food. And it was cute because I was little and, and skinny um, and that that was not the case for everyone in my life. And so that awareness came to me pretty early. Um, so yeah, so that, that was kind of my, my body awareness was uh, in terms of the size of my body and, and a bit of its size in comparison um, to my sisters. 
Yeah. How did that make you feel? That's really interesting that you are looking at looking at this from another lens than we typically hear from guests on the show where you're comparing your sisters to your body being smaller and almost like this ability to eat more and stay a socially acceptable size or in your words, being cute. So how, Mm -hmm. how did that, how did that impact your relationship with your body and also your relationships at the time with your sisters? Sure. I mean, it's, it's stuff that I'm now unpacking because, you know, I'm in my mid forties. My, my body is, is really undergoing a lot of changes and, and I'm, to be perfectly honest, uncovering a lot of internalized fat phobia um, that I'm embarrassed about. Um, I will be completely open and say that I often felt like, I mean, it it was normal, I think, for me to feel lucky. And I did feel lucky um, knowing that kind of, I didn't have to worry about my body being acceptable. Um, But I also, to be perfectly honest, sometimes felt superior. Like I sometimes felt like, well, you know, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I don't have to worry about things. And I don't know, lots of, lots of uncomfortable feelings around that, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. So what was your relationship with your body? Like moving to college and just early adulthood? You know, I think, I don't think you can be a woman in this culture and not be, um, critical of your body. I mean, I think it's so ingrained in us to, to be looking for things to better and change. And, um, and so definitely kind of like going into high school, some of my friends were, you know, we would call now really ingrained in in diet culture, very conscious about counting calories. And back then it was more like the, the grams of fat. And, um, and so I kind of fell in with that almost as a way to belong, to be like, okay, this is the thing we do. Um, and then also criticizing my own body as like a way to belong as well. Like this is like, I guess this is what we do as, as women, you know? Um, but, but truthfully, aside from those things, um, I really, you know, didn't, I just didn't have too much stress over the size of my body. Um, I was just really lucky. Um, and even though I was aware of that, um, I don't think that I, you know, was, was able to, to kind of appreciate it, um, in a way that I'm, I'm kind of coming to terms with now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that you just mentioned that the fitting in aspect in terms of criticizing your body and what you're eating. And I think that this shows up in so many areas of our culture and especially as, as women and men receive this too, but particularly women, because it's been passed down for so many generations, just this unwritten rule of this is what you do to bond. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can be so uncomfortable unpacking that and creating the awareness of why that's happening. The fact that that's happening, recognizing that and creating boundaries to just honor your relationship with your body. So I'm curious how you got to that place where you even realized that you had this internalized fat phobia, which we've talked about on the show before, but for you, how did you get to that place where you even knew that there were things to unpack or Mm -hmm. what piqued your curiosity? 
Yeah. I mean, it's such an interesting question and something that I have been thinking about a lot lately. And the, the thing is that I have talked about this a bit, but I've come to the whole body trust, body neutrality, body positivity, you know, concepts um, through the women that I work with. So I work as a personal stylist. I help women um, kind of uncover their personal style, find the clothes that make them feel the best outside of what society's expectations of them are. Um, and I've been doing this for eight or nine years. And, you know, I, again, you know, was very privileged and that I didn't have to think too much about the way clothes fit on my body. And I didn't have to work too hard to find clothes that fit on my body. And when I started working with other women, it, it really, I really wasn't aware of kind of that experience to actually to a certain extent I was with my sisters, but, um, but just really being inside women's literal closets, being inside their experience, hearing them speak about their bodies through the conversation we were having about their clothes was mind blowing and devastating. Like it was so sad to me because I couldn't, there was no woman that I worked with who felt good about her body and, and the size of her clothes. And again, it just felt like this thing that we all just had to like flagellate ourselves for just because, you know, how weird would it be if you were happy with your body, you know? Um, and so, you know, I just kept hearing the same things over and over and over and over. And so I kind of was like, there's gotta be a better way. <laughs> like, this is, this is crazy. The amount of, of energy that all women are spending on this, you know, purposely kind of beating themselves up is, is just, it's just unreal. And, um, so that kind of led me, um, into kind of exploring these concepts. Um, I'll say the first book that I read, um, that really introduced me to the concept of intuitive eating was big girl by Kelsey Miller, um, oh, yeah. which I just reread recently. It's so good. Um, it was a great introduction to the concepts of intuitive eating and health at every size. And, um, and that was, you know, years ago. And, and since then I've just continued to kind of broaden my, um, knowledge of, of those concepts. But what's really interesting is that it was always a little bit of, um, I'm a really empathetic person. I'm a highly sensitive person. I definitely feel like I'm an empath. And so I really was feeling a lot of what my clients felt. And I definitely was able to intellectualize, you know, the reasons why, um, what, you know, the reasons why intentional weight loss or, or, you know, beating themselves up about the size of their clothes, you know, I understood intellectually why that was not healthy and not a good thing to do, but it's only been in the last couple of years that I have been personally going through the same process. And so it's been really fascinating for me to kind of have this knowledge and have been, um, you know, exposed to these ideas and yet I never had to put them into practice for myself until recently. Can you tell us about that? Your, your own process, what shifted for you? What, what changed that put you on this path of having to do the work yourself? Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, nothing really shifted, just that it's completely normal um, and healthy, of course, for women's bodies to continue changing as they uh, just over the course of our lives. Um, and so my body had changed a couple of times, um, you know, like I'm not, I was never the 
you know, when I was in my thirties, I was never the same size as I was in high school and I've had two children. And so there were obvious changes um, that happened then, but I think there was always this idea that it was acceptable to me because there was this excuse or reason, not, not an excuse, but there was like a, a reason like, well, I was pregnant or I had a child or I was breastfeeding and, and that's okay. It's okay. And normal for my body to change. Um, and in the last couple of years, I mean, there probably are some extenuating circumstances, but really my body is changing by no, you know, under no, um, no like discernible differences in my lifestyle and just kind of coming to this acceptance that like, yeah, bodies can change just because they get to do whatever they want, <laughs> you know, they do what's best for them. And, um, feeling a little bit of that loss of control, um, has been really interesting. Yeah. I can, I mean, I, I can imagine I've, I've been through that in my own journey as well too. Um, how do you deal, how do you deal with change normally just in your life? Are oh, you- I'm terrible at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hate it. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. But it's not surprising. Me yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely not surprising. And that's something that I've definitely, you know, like kind of acknowledged and, and, and made a little bit of peace with that. Of course. Yeah. I don't like changes and this is a change and it's something that I, um, literally feel <laughs> all the time. And so of course that would be hard. Um, self-compassion helps <laughs> a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just going to ask, what are some tools that you're using right now as your body is changing? And, and also, I just want to validate everything that you're sharing Daisy, and I really hear you. And I know how uncomfortable this is. And I also know how normal this is too. And it doesn't make it any less uncomfortable to, to normalize it in the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think luckily, you know, I've been really well equipped with all the tools that I was using to, to hopefully bring a different perspective to, to my clients. Um, And so I had many, many kind of concrete things that I could do that have, that have really helped. Um, I mean, for me, kind of sharing this experience and talking about it is really a way of processing it for me. And so I've had, um, I've done some programs um, through Be Nourished um, mm. and some done some of their workshops and some of their kind of writing exercises, um, taken some of their courses. I was in an intuitive eating mentorship group over the summer with my friend, Rachel Cole. Um, I've had clients who started book groups, um, to read kind of intuitive eating based books. Um, and I've participated in those in my own like little book club that I have, you know, we've read, um, some books and just, I kind of, every time I get to have that conversation with someone and every time as always happens, every time there is, you know, recognition from other women that they're not alone or that I'm not alone. It's, it, it just, it starts, you know, to, to move the process forward for me. Um, and then there are other little things like, um, you know, hiding myself view on zoom. We spend so much time on zoom. Like I don't need to be looking at myself all the time. I'm, you know, just being aware of body checking, moving mirrors in my house, things like that. So, um, and then a really, really huge one, of course, which is when I've always preached is that you have to have clothes that fit your body and you have to feel good in those. And you can't deny that, um, deny yourself that because, you know, you deserve to have that no matter what's going on with your body. Mm -hmm. 
So how did your style change or how has it evolved through your body changing in this process? I imagine this is something that you work with clients around a lot. So being able Mm -hmm. to use the tools that you're giving them and apply it to yourself and also sit with these big emotions that are coming up for you in the process. How did you navigate all of that? The style aspect, like the Mm -hmm. external, the physical, and also the internal Yeah, well, I think it's important to say I'm still kind of in the middle of the process and I'm still figuring part of that out. But um, I have always believed um, and I've always worked with my clients in a way that um, that I think I I feel like fashion and, and style has always been dictated by body sizes and shapes. And I just think that's completely backwards. I think the clothes that we want to wear has to be determined by what we like the look of or the feel of. And once we can figure that out, then we can find the things that represent those things in our size or in a way that fits our body. But I just feel like so many people have quote, like determined their style by just going based on, well, I was born with this shape of body. Therefore I must wear this style of clothing. And I just feel like, well, that sucks. Like you should be able to choose, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's always been something that I've really practiced. And so it's the same for me. I mean, I, I start with, with what I love the look of and, and what I want to wear and what feels good. And, and then I find a way that, that it works for, for the body that I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. What about the, the part of your journey where, did you have to give up clothes? Did you have to let oh, yeah. clothes? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. How how did you navigate that? Because I imagine you have this deep love for fashion and style, and I can only imagine the pieces that you've accumulated for yourself as a form mm-hmm. of expression. So, how did you navigate that piece of uh, just breaking up with some of the clothes that no longer fit your body and releasing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that was, you know, kind of, as I was saying earlier, like that specific part of the process is what I kept seeing over and over with women. Um, because when I originally started my business, um, I really had a, more of a focus on, on minimalism and kind of a minimalist wardrobe. Um, and I really felt like so many of us had these closets full of clothes and yet nothing to wear. We, we were kind of constantly in the cycle of buying new things, feeling dissatisfied, you know, and then just having piles of clothes um, that were overwhelming. And so that's really where it came to light that like, oh, okay, the reason why women are not able to let go of this stuff is because there's shame that they can't fit into it. And they feel as though there has to be, they're a bad person if they don't try and force themselves back into clothes Mm -hmm. that used to fit. Um, And so that was what I worked through with a lot of clients. And so, once I kind of came to the point of, of, of figuring out my style and, and kind of the amount of clothing that worked for me, which, you know, was many years ago, um, I have been pretty good about being able to let things go. Just knowing like, because I think one thing that, that we all forget is that clothing, while we want it to be quality and we want it to be something that expresses us, it's a temporary thing. Like it is always going to be a temporary thing. Um, and that's okay because as women, our bodies are always changing. Um, our style and our tastes and our preferences are always changing. The kind of the style that's 
in the outside world is always changing. Um, and then our needs for our lifestyle is always changing. You know, like if you were a high powered lawyer in your twenties, who then stayed home with your kids in your thirties, there's a lot of clothing that's just not appropriate for your lifestyle anymore. Um, and so all of those things um, are things that I am somewhat, you know, open to the process of and just the, the temporary nature of. However, <laughs> that doesn't mean that there weren't things that um, were really beautiful that I really loved that, that don't fit anymore. Um, and I, I have a lot of ways of thinking about it. Um, you know, I, way back, even before the TV show, I was a big fan of Marie Kondo. And, and one of the things I love about um, her methods is, is that she really <laughs> kind of gives some items, some physical items, the respect that they're due. And in a way, like certain pieces of clothing, um, I can kind of say to them, gosh, I loved wearing you. I felt so good in you. Thank you for being with me on that part of my path. Um, and now someone else is going to enjoy you as much as I did. Um, or, you know, thinking like, what have I learned? What can I take? I know I have to let go of this physical piece of clothing, but what did I learn from it that I want to take into future choices about my wardrobe? Um, so a few things like that, that, that really helped me. And also acknowledging that like, it's sad. There's a grief for sure. Um, and there's also a level of like frustration um, of like, you know, do I have to constantly be doing this? I'd like to be mm -hmm. done with this. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's another question that I, that was coming to my mind as, as you were talking as well too, what do you do or how do you guide your clients when they are in that in-between stage mm -hmm. and for yourself too, where you're going through the process of just letting your body settle into this next mm -hmm. chapter of life, because our bodies always change. And so it will probably mm -hmm. change again, but it's not changing every single day in a way that is going to require going out and buying a whole new wardrobe. So in that intermediate state of your body kind of resettling into a new place for a period of time, how do you recommend your clients going through that? And also how did you navigate that for yourself? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. It's so important. And I think, um, I think there are kind of a, two, a couple of aspects. I mean, one is definitely that um, I think it is highly, highly, highly important. It's almost like a huge priority for mental health to me that you have clothes that fit you today, whatever, wherever your body is today, you need to have clothes that fit. Even if you know you're in a transitioning, a transition, you know, phase and maybe your body will be bigger or smaller in a month it is miserable to not have clothes that fit you like in the present moment. Um, and so in, in whatever way you can make that happen, I think it's really important. Um, thrift stores, like cheaper stores, um, this is a time to, you know, relax a little bit on your, maybe your ethical standards or your, 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 your eco-awareness and like, just take care of yourself. I think it's truly like self-care to make sure that you have clothes that fit in the moment. So that's one part of it. Um, the other part of it is that it's just this kind of awareness that, you know, again, that, that this is always a process, like starting to kind of become comfortable with this idea in a weird way. It's almost like good practice of knowing like, okay, this is going to be something that's going to continue to happen because I just feel like in our society, we have this 
ideal that's been set at some point, which was, you know, whatever size you were at 21 or 25, so you have to stay there for the rest of your life. Mm. And everyone feels if they get away from that, they are wrong and they're bad and they have to get back to that. And that's always the goal. And so as much as we can start to shift that perspective to know that like actually constantly changing is part of life, um, I think it's just good practice to kind of get used to that. And then I guess thirdly is like the practical aspects. Like I love an elastic waist. I love some stretchy pants, you know, like things that are going to fit your body throughout multiple sizes um, can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I love all of those tips. And one word that keeps coming to my mind and hearing you speak is identity. And I think mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. such a challenging part for so many of us, because just mm-hmm. like you're mentioning, holding on to that belief that my body has to stay the same size as it was when it was 20 or 25, you're not the only person who believes that there are many, many people around you who also believe that as well too. And so it's the water that we're swimming in that becomes this cultural belief that also creates this identity that we feel like we have to lean into. And then also the identity around letting go of clothes, I think is so complicated as well too. that person that you were when you were wearing those clothes Mm -hmm. and the stage of life that you were in or what that represented. And I just love what you're bringing into this conversation in terms of shifting that mindset into the belief that our bodies are always changing, that truth that our bodies are always changing, which can feel so scary because just like you and I both acknowledge, change is terrifying sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to name that and anchor into it is is very challenging sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely hard. Um, yeah, but you know, I, I guess we, we all get better at things as we practice them. Absolutely. So. Well, I, I think that's the key, practicing. And it sounds like that is something that you have adopted for yourself and really communicate in your communities and with the clients that you work with also just practice uh, in shifting this beliefs and the mindset. I know you- Yeah, and I love that. Oh, sorry. No, please go ahead. I was just going to say, I love that you, you brought up the word identity. I think that is what a huge part of this is all about. And I'll, again, be kind of embarrassingly open that, yeah, a lot of my identity has been tied up in being a smaller person, a a person in a smaller body for a lot of my life. Um, And again, not to say that I don't still benefit from thin privilege, but um, to have that shift um, personally and to come to an understanding of like, oh, okay, I got some value from that has been really uncomfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious where your identity work in your own body image journey, do any light bulb moments stand out to you through, through your process, things that really just shook you to the core to kind of unpack? Um, I mean, I, I would say that was, that was a big thing, just really realizing, you know, uh, because it's kind of funny, I, I'm a, typically a half glass empty person. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm anxious. I, I, I manage depression. Um, and I, you know, high self-esteem is not something that I'm guilty of. And so there are many parts of myself that I don't like, but it's been interesting to realize like, oh, that was something I could always kind of count on was my body kind of being, um, being good, 
was something I could always kind of count on. And um, it's interesting to, you know, to not feel that um, any longer. Yeah. So how do you feel now? What would you describe your relationship with your body as today? Um, wow. Um, you know, since I am still kind of working through it, I don't think I've tried to put that into words. Um, but I think that I am really starting to see a future possibility of separating my worth from my physical appearance. Um, I am starting to see the possibility that my, you know, just this, the kind of value of being a woman, the wisdom of being a woman is in going through this process. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's just, it's, it's, it's a life experience that almost every woman on this planet is going to go through. And um, I feel a sense of like kinship with, mm. you know, the rest of, of women. I mean, again, I'm kind of going from, and for me, I'll, I'll be honest too, it's a little bit even um, in, on top of the body stuff, there's a little bit of aging stuff going on as well. So yeah, it's just very interesting for me to start to see um, a future where um, my appearance doesn't dictate my value. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's so important. And I love that you brought in aging because I think that's a huge piece of our body image journey and something that we don't talk about as much when we talk about body image, we tend to think it's just the size of our bodies mm -hmm. or the ability of our body or whatnot. Um, and I really do think that our body changing through our, our aging process is, is so valuable and it comes with its own emotions and identity in itself as well too, and detaching from that. But I love that you use the word kinship. That's mm. just so beautiful. And I think that once we really can give ourselves the space and the permission to detach our, our value and our worth from our bodies and to seek out safe spaces where other people are, are doing this work and interested in having conversations around this and just surrounding yourself with information around this process. It can give you such, uh, such a deeper community for your relationship with your body. I, I've certainly found that myself. Yeah, definitely. So I'm curious how you got into style and fashion. Is this something that you majored in when you were in college or did you come to it later in your life? How did you get into this work in general? It's such a good question because I think I saw somewhere in your background that you have a, a background in fashion. Is that right? It is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, I was, I wanted to be you <laughs> when I was a kid. Um, I, so I grew up with um, a family that was a little bit countercultural. Um, and so while I was lucky not to get any negative um, messaging about bodies or what females should should strive to look like I also was given the message that caring at all about clothes or fashion or how you looked was very superficial so a little bit backwards then like uh, again a lot of my clients come to me with you know all these heavy messages they were given by their mom or their dad or or someone who felt like they needed to fit into a certain mold and I, I was free of that, but I did get this message that like caring about that means that you are silly and superficial and don't care about um, saving the world. <laughs> um, and so 
I really have always, always, always loved clothes and fashion. It was the highlight of my year every year to do back to school shopping. Um, my, my, my maternal grandmother was very stylish in my eyes. And every year for my birthday, I would ask not for a birthday present, but just to go shopping with her. Um, and, you know, I started reading Vogue when I was 10, you know, just, I, I was just always obsessed with clothes, but because of that messaging, I really never thought it was something that um, would be a viable career for me. And so I, I, you know, went a different, in a different direction um, and, and had a, a career in, in music for 20 years um, before I kind of allowed myself to be open to the possibility that maybe I could do something with clothes. Um, so it was, it was a long process for me. <laughs> What type of music career? Um, well, I have a bachelor's and a master's in music performance, and I performed with orchestras um, for a long time. And that was a really, um, classical music was a very like high pressure, single track mind type of field. And so I didn't allow myself a lot of, you know, kind of extracurricular interests. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I grew up, performing in theater and I went to an Ooh. art school and I <laughs> we're very yep, similar. Same. It's yep, like. same. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was around a lot of musicians and also going to an art school, it almost was like a conservatory growing mm-hmm. up. And so I really understand the uh, the level of dedication and also the toll on mental health that can take when you're so heavily invested in your craft. And it's just mm-hmm. that that level of perfectionism can really be sneaky as well Mm -hmm. too. And so I'm curious what that looked like for you. Just your, you mentioned you've struggled with depression before. Is Mm -hmm. that something that you were battling when you were performing? What did your mental health look like? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I just want to say, I feel seen. Thank you. Um, Just the stuff you just said about musicians and perfectionism and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, um, And then what's interesting is that actually the career shift the impetus for my career shift was my mental health. It was not my love of fashion. And what happened was that I was like, I need to make a shift because this is not healthy. What else have I always wanted to do? And that's when I came back to, to fashion. So that just kind of, a, um, just a note about that. It's pretty interesting, but yeah, it was, it was really hard. Um, I, again, you know, can attribute a lot of, um, my journey down that path to kind of like external validation, um, getting attention and getting praise, um, feeling like the good girl for achieving, um, while not necessarily looking at whether it was a good fit for me and my temperament, um, if that makes sense. So just, you know, getting a lot of affirmation, but at the same time, you know, struggling kind of mentally um, with the um, the pressure and the stress and, Just, you know, it's interesting. Um, I've never correlated this before, but it's just interesting, this idea. Um, When I was performing, I felt like my worth was based on how good my last performance was. Mm. Um, And so just, it's just interesting to correlate that with, you know, again, detaching our worth from some sort of external thing, like our appearance or our productivity or our our achievement. Um, So yeah, yeah, it just, um, it was, it was not, um, I'm highly sensitive. So I'm really sensitive to, um, you know, sensory overload. <laughs> there was obviously a lot of sound in the music field. Um, there was a lot of pressure that I think I took on probably more so than other people. Um, yeah, it was just, it was just not a good fit. And luckily I was able to kind of slowly and gradually come to that realization and make a change. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting that you you mentioned the external uh, worth and just this identity piece that we kind of keep mm -hmm. coming back to in the conversation. And I often find this with clients. I certainly have found this with myself in my own journey, but it tends to overlap in a lot of areas of our life when we struggle with this in terms of our body and our relationship with our, our body and that identity. Um, and just this level of control and perfectionism that kind of shows up in, in different, different paths that we've gone down in our life. And so interesting, the, the reason behind it sometimes. Mm -hmm. And also I think it's so powerful naming it and also acknowledging the pattern and uh, working with that rather than against it. And it sounds like that is something that you really started to do just by acknowledging your mental health and it sounds like from what you're sharing just being I, I don't know if I would word, use the word like thrown into this but it sounds mm -hmm. like you've built a lot of momentum in a music career that I can only imagine made it so difficult to walk away from but taking them taking the time to really step back and acknowledge what was best for you based on how you are evolving as a person and your emotional well-being and mental health and whatnot. Mm -hmm. What did that moment look like for you? Do you remember <sighs> the that day or the moment where mm -hmm. you just realized that something needed to change and that you were going to have to step away from music? Yes and no. I mean, there were there were several moments throughout the years, um, and and I just want to pick up on that piece you said again about having, again, you're, you're so intuitive about this, like having had built and put so much work and effort into that career, um, it was extremely hard to kind of, for one thing, lose that identity as a musician. I mean, that was how I had just named myself. If, if I had said, hi, I'm Daisy, I'm a musician. That was just my introduction to the world, sure. you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, so shifting away from that was, was incredibly hard. Um, and then also just that piece of like, Okay. I mean, I, I think when I started my business, I was 36 or 37. So definitely it was later in, in life. And I, you know, was felt like I was starting over completely. Um, so as far as that moment, um, I'm, I am extremely lucky to have a really supportive partner. Um, my husband is great and, and he, you know, he just wanted me to be happy. And, and he, um, actually interesting is, is interestingly is also a musician. Um, we met in music school, but, um, so he knew kind of the pressures, he knew me, he knew that they were not a good fit. Um, and I just remember one day us having a conversation um, and him saying like, just quit. I mean, at this time I wasn't performing, I was working in arts administration, but um, still, you know, working um, and designing programs um, for concerts. And, and um, I mean, essentially he gave me permission to quit my job and try something else. And it was a huge gift. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. And incredibly supportive. So did you know immediately that you wanted to go into fashion and style and start your own business? Or did you take some time no, to kind of not at all. Yeah, not at all. And I will, um, I definitely remember this moment, but um, I've been in therapy for 15 years at this point. Um, and I remember through this time um, when I was struggling and trying to figure out what was next, um, my therapist asked this question, which was, huge for me. She said, well, I, I mean, I think it was more of a validation of what I wanted to do, but it was interesting because she, 
said, what do people always ask for your help with? Mm. Um, and even though I always loved fashion and everything, like having that question asked and realizing like, wow, actually this is something people come to me for, you know, even before, long before it was a business, um, it was always something that people sought out my opinion on. It just gave me a little bit of, of validity in that like, oh, okay, I actually may have something to offer in this area. It may be more than just, I love it. There may be something that I can actually do for other people. Um, and that was really huge. Yeah, that is huge. So did you, how did you take that information that you were learning about yourself? Did you kind of brainstorm with friends or your husband? Did you just launch yeah. something and okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's such a good question. And I'm, I appreciate you asking it because I think not enough people like get down to like the nuts and bolts of like, okay, but actually how did you start a business or actually how did you figure out what to do? Yeah. Um, and so what I did was that I kind of came to all these realizations while I was still working a full-time job in, in the performing arts. And so um, it was, was pre-kids luckily, cause I wouldn't have had time to think about it <laughs> um, if it hadn't been, but it was pre-kids. And so all my nights and weekends I spent um, once, you know, through therapy and through, you know, supportive conversations with my husband, once I came to this idea that I did want to shift my career, I did want to explore whether there was a possibility for me in fashion. Then I just dove deep into like, okay, but actually what in fashion, you know, cause it's a huge field and there, it's a huge industry. And so I did a ton of research about all the different things that I could potentially do. Um, read a ton of books and what it kept coming back to for me was this idea of just helping kind of like, you know, quote, normal women, but just kind of your everyday woman, like get dressed. Like that's what I love doing. I, I'm not, I love seeing fashion shows. I love the artistry of it, but in my daily life, that's not what brings me meaning. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it, it just generally kept coming back to like, oh, actually there is this little niche career within fashion of, of personal styling. And once I figured that out, I was kind of like, well, how can I make this happen? Um, and then I, um, I just kind of started very tiny baby steps. I started blogging about fashion. Um, and, you know, I think the more momentum, you used the word momentum before, and I think the more momentum I gained with every little step I took, it built a little more confidence. Um, I started working um, with people for free and blogging about it. And then, you know, again, every time it was a positive experience, every time someone was grateful that they had changed their perspective on their body or their clothes, that gave me more um, confidence to kind of keep taking the next, next step. And eventually um, after about six months, I, I quit my job and I, and I officially started my business. So, mm. and I, at the time I was like, I'm going to do this for a year and see how it works. Um, and it, you know, it was apparent that there was a need for it and people wanted to hire me and that it was successful um, with the people that I was working with. So I've been grateful to be able to do it since then. Yeah. And you've built such an, such an amazing business and it really is. I love the simplicity and also the sustainability of it, not just in how you approach fashion from a sustainable, a sustainable lens, but also um, sustainability in how style can evolve with the clients that you work mm -hmm. with and the messages that you mm -hmm. really share with your community as well too. It's great. Mm -hmm. So a question that's coming up for me right now is how do you keep a pulse on momentum and identity 
in this chapter of your life with your business, which is not that Mm. different than your music career. And I imagine a lot of, there's a lot of similarities there in terms of showing up and dedication and uh, feedback and Mm. performing almost to a certain Mm. degree because you are a public figure, you are putting yourself out there. Um, that's just what a business owner does. And especially one in, in consulting like yourself. So, mm-hmm. so how do you temper that now kind of, and I, I feel like I can ask you this because you've been in therapy as well too, mm-hmm. but how do you temper that knowing when those unhealthy behaviors are coming in and mm-hmm. how do you support yourself during those times? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm interpreting this question a little bit about and correct me if I'm wrong, kind of the pressure that I might feel or that I might put on myself or feel externally. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll answer that if that helps. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, I have definitely struggled with that. And part of, part of the process, you know, again, before I even left my previous field, there was a period of many years where I was just getting to know myself, you know, understanding what introversion means, understanding what highly sensitive means, Um, understanding what being an empath means, all these things. And so while I was exploring those fields in fashion, I also was very consciously keeping in mind, okay, but which of these is going to work for me? For instance, fashion publicist, no, 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 right? Like you're on the go, you're constantly on demand, you have to be on all the time, you have to be responding in the moment. That's the kind of pressure that was akin to performing. (laughs) That is not something I'm interested in. Um, And so what was like a total bonus for the, this, you know, this specialty that I do is that not only is it, first of all, it's working with, for the most part, I do small group programs, but for the most part, I work with women one-on-one. So there you go. Like there's my introversion is able to be very comfortable and happy getting into really deep topics with people and not having these surface conversations. Um, being able to manage my schedule and schedule when I have um, schedule clients for when I have the most energy. Again, like when I was performing, it was like I had to be on at 8 p.m. at night. And that is hard when you're like someone who likes to go to bed at 8 p.m. Um, and so just kind of having the knowledge of those things about myself that I wanted to be possible in the career that I was designing does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So that was a really huge part of it. And then the other part of it is that um, I have tried because of all those things that I know about myself, I guess, to, to have a small business. Like I have tried to just be honest with myself about what I want my life to look at, look like. And while there may be some romantic ideas of being like, you know, boss bitch or, or some kind of thing like that. Like, I don't want the hours, you know, mm-hmm. like I know what I want to do and how much I want to work and everything kind of goes backwards from that. So that's the amount of marketing I need to do. That's the amount of, um, you know, uh, you know, the, the amount of clients that I have requires a certain amount of administration and all those things are manageable to me. Um, one thing that is very hard is, is staying out of comparison with other people who do what I do. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard because while logically I know that my clients connect with me because I do things the way that I do them and because I am the person that I am, 
it's definitely hard to see people out there who seem like they're killing it and, you know, six figure nonsense and all that kind of stuff. And um, I try to detach from that. Um, one, one really logistical way is I just don't follow any of the personal stylists on Instagram at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have to stick to what I know works for me and the level that works for me. And, and honestly, this comes back also, I mentioned earlier, part of this process has been helpful for me in the body sense has been talking with other women. And I have a couple of great groups of other women business owners that I am, that I talk to regularly, um, who can remind me, like when I start to like, kind of spin out into this, like, I'm not doing enough. They kind of bring me back down and say, but this is the intention that you have for your life and your business. And you don't have to do more than that. Yeah. Oh God. It's so important, especially, um, being a business owner, but honestly, for anybody who's listening in any career path that you Mm -hmm. choose, just surrounding yourself with people who are really going to empower you and ground you at the same time. And when you find those people, hold on to them because it is so important. And I've also, I really resonate with what you're saying. Um, I've really done a lot of just deep thinking and soul searching around what my vision is for my life right now and the hours that that's going to require me to put into my business. And, you know, I I think when I first started, it was very much like that grind mentality that has been taught just for way too long in terms of business and just professional, uh, professionalism in general, and now getting to a place where, uh, I'm prioritizing my mental health and emotional health sounds like you are too. And really just lowering the bar a little bit and, and doing what I need to, and, you know, raising the bar as I, as I move forward, if it feels good, but just keeping that expectation in mind without, without yeah, my help. It's interesting. Um, it's just interesting. Cause we've been talking about kind of the parallels, um, between some of these ideas and like, you know, the, the field, you know, that you were in, like with, you know, any kind of performing arts or whatever. And it is interesting because, um, I mean, corporate culture is like that as well, but even those artistic fields, you know, it always feels like you need to be doing more work. You yep. need to be working harder. You need to be perfecting something you need to be practicing. Um, and so that actually, you know, now that we're speaking of speaking about it, that is a big thing for me to anchor onto is to know that that's not what I want to be doing. That was the reason why I stopped doing that. And if I turn this business into just another thing I have to work 24 seven on, it will not be a good thing <laughs> for me. Oh my God. I, I can so relate. I'm so glad that you mentioned that one thing that I really struggled with in, in the past few years, I, I'd be curious if you've ever struggled with this also is just um, setting my hours in a day that were really arbitrary, but measuring my worth. And if I was quote unquote doing enough mm-hmm. during the day, because I was coming out of a corporate job where I was essentially clocking in, clocking out. It was an eight hour a day type of situation. And, um, and so I I had to take Mm -hmm. a step back at one point and just, and I got some coaching from my own coach around this by saying like, why are you being a bad boss right now? Like, why Mm -hmm. are you being like your worst boss for yourself Mm -hmm. right now? And just really, um, relearning work and working smarter, not harder and meaningful work. And also just relearning life too, if that makes sense. Yeah. I really just gotten to a place where I just deeply believe I have one life supposedly, and mm-hmm. I want to live it 
really, really enjoyably and Mm -hmm. just keeping that top of mind as I go through my day and practicing gratitude and really tempering expectations and just leaning into the fun of, of days as well too. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I've really measured is if it's not fun, I'm not going to do it unless it's something that actually just has to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, that balance between just, uh, dedication to moving forward and what you are imposing an expectation on your life I think is really challenging sometimes it's so hard and I'm so glad you it's interesting that you said that you know kind of coming from the work day that you had before and and that was similar for me again I was working in arts administration at the the time when I switched careers and um, if you know anything about arts administration you know that it's a nonprofit and people are generally doing the job of three people and and overworked and underpaid and yeah it was super hard to to know that like there's yeah there's not this arbitrary schedule for the day that someone has decided um and that you have to fill all that time um Mm-hmm. And, and I've, I've struggled with that a lot because I really, um, a lot of it has to do with motherhood. Um, so, you know, I'm being open about that for anyone who's listening or for you, if that's a possibility in your future. But I mean, that takes away a lot of my capacity to work, you know what I mean? And not just the actual parenting part, but the recovering from the parenting part um, really takes away a lot of my energy and capacity. And so it's, it's very hard for me to um, feel like a worthy person. Um, when in general, I'd say I work about two hours a day, you know, um, and that's what it really comes down to in terms of um, concentrated work. Um, you know, there's there's always stuff that you're kind of thinking on and, and doing at other times and errands that you're running. But, um, you know, I don't think I've ever even said that out loud. <laughs> so just even that, like I have shame coming up around that. But um, that's the phase of my life that I'm in right now. And that's what I have the capacity for. And I have to work with that, you know, and if that changes in the future, that's great, but Mm -hmm. it's not worth me being depressed or stressed because I'm trying to do more than I'm capable of right now. Mm, Yes. I just heard you say worthy. And I feel like that is another theme in this conversation too. worthiness in Mm -hmm. the hours that you work worthiness in the body that you have worthy worthiness in the career that you're in all of these arbitrary beliefs that we've created around that term, because that's all that it is worthiness Mm -hmm. and breaking up with that. And I've really heard you, it sounds like you've done a lot of work around that for yourself and are on that continued journey. And it also sounds like it's something that you really bring into the work that you do with your clients as well too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd say that's, that's kind of my lifelong, you know, thing to work on. Um, is that feeling of worthiness unrelated to anything that I do or, or am, you know, just because I exist, I'm worthy. Um, yeah. And it's, it's hard. I mean, it's definitely hard. I'm, you know, I'm in the process of, of feeling that, um, that I'm worthy, even though my body is different. I'm in the process of feeling that I'm worthy, even though I don't work eight hours a day, all those kind of things. And yeah. And I think a lot of women need that support and validation, um, when it comes to their clothes, because that is something that has traditionally been really exclusionary and really made many people feel like they were unworthy Mm -hmm. if they didn't have the body to fit into the clothes that were deemed the best, you know? Mm -hmm. 
So I want to talk about that because I know that you do a lot of work with your clients around belief systems and, and just messages that they've been taught and breaking up and dismantling messages and really getting clear on what those messages are with your clients. So I would love to learn about that and your process with that when you're working with somebody, but I also would love to hear how you help somebody build a functional wardrobe, because I think that is something we, everybody in this community is definitely (laughs) dying to know. So yeah. um, What's your process in general? Well, I think with the, the process of, of kind of breaking down the, the thought patterns and the messages you've been given, I, I do think it starts with a, a point of awareness. And so a lot of people, and it's, to be quite honest, it's so interesting. I'm sure it's very similar to the way you work with your clients because there's so much about working on body image or intuitive eating um, that is the same as the way that I work with my clients. And so we start, um, and I, I've recently worked with a couple of clients who told me that you know they came from working with other personal stylists and basically the person just said, here you are, I'm looking at you and here's what you need to wear. Mm -hmm. And they just felt like, and then, you know, to no surprise at the end of the process, they didn't really like any of the clothes that they got. But I think, and so sometimes people, I think may be surprised by how much we talk about their past and their life and their relationship to clothes over the course of their life. And that's, that's the whole session for me pretty much. Um, and so it's really important for me to ask people those stories, those questions, like the questions that you're asking on this podcast, like the questions you would ask someone about their body image and, and those moments in their life where they were aware of certain aspects of it. Um, and I do the same thing with clothes. So really like, you know, what is it, um, you know, what's the first thing you remember about, about your clothes? Um, you know, what was the first experience of, of, remembering someone else's judgment of your clothes. What is the way that your mom expressed her um, preferences for what you should wear? You know, all those kind of questions. And then, you know, kind of throughout phases of life when you were a little girl, when you were in high school, when you were a young adult, how did all those things, you know, and, and so often just a lot of stuff comes up for people that they really never thought about or acknowledged. Um, and just the process of doing that can make them aware that like, oh yeah, my mom always said that I had to hang my clothes in outfits on matching hangers and that I could only wear those two things together. And I've never been able to get away from that idea or whatever. Like that's a very benign example. Obviously there were more um, cruel things that mothers have done to daughters, but, but um, you know, sometimes just, just acknowledging those and being aware of them. um, People have some big realizations just, just through that conversation. Um, And then in terms of, of building a functional wardrobe. I mean, it's, it's a big process. And I think that's part of what another message that we're given as women is that we should just know how to do this. We should know how to dress ourselves. We should be good at it. We should enjoy shopping. We should think this is all fun. And for a lot of women, that is not the case. And a lot of people, and then when you think that's what is expected of you and you're not able to do that, then you feel the shame, right? Because you're like, I'm not, good enough. I don't know what to do. There must be something wrong with me. Um, And so just before I even talk about it, I just want to kind of put that out there that this is like a a big process that you're not supposed to know how to do on your own. It's something that takes a lot of like breaking down and thinking about things and, and um, 
you know, it's not just like a, just a known skill. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Our, our work is really similar. It's, mm-hmm. it sounds like it's a lot of dismantling the rules and the messaging and, mm-hmm. and creating awareness around where these even came up from, uh, mm-hmm. to have that information for yourself, to have that truth for yourself. And then also the next step, which you're kind of mentioning, redefining what is true for you and building mm-hmm. the skills um, mm-hmm. around cultivating that truth for yourself right now. Um, because it is a lot of skill building, like like you're mentioning, especially in terms of body image and with food. And um, it sounds like, I mean, I know it is with style too, just like you said, mm-hmm. we're expected to know all this and do all this, but there is an art, there is, there are skills and tools that are really supportive in making it easier and more manageable in everyday life. And also um, offer more of an opportunity for creative expression when we have them as well too. Yeah. And, and even the way, yeah, I mean there, and I, you know, I've obviously I've had this experience with many, you know, intuitive eating dietitians and other coaches and things. And it is, I, I love, I love the like synchronicity of it, but, but yeah, what you said is like, um, after you do that, then the next part is like kind of building where you want to be, right? Like how you want to feel. And it's the same with your clothes. And so for me, it's not about, again, someone looking at you and diagnosing and analyzing and saying, well, this is what you need to wear. It's about starting with the client and saying, well, where are you in your life? What clothes make sense for you right now? What do you feel good in? What do you like the look of? And let's do a lot of work around exploring that. You know, a lot of that happens on Pinterest and with visuals and and things like that. Um, But it's, yeah, it cannot be imposed on someone. That's my opinion, you know? Um, And so my job, I I see my job as being the guide for the client to discover that stuff that they know somewhere uh, underneath all those layers of messages um, and helping them kind of uncover it. Um, And then yes, then there are practical skills of like, okay, all right, you like this kind of look, you like this kind of outfit. Here's how we're gonna break that down into what you need to buy. Here's how we're gonna go about shopping for them. Here's how to make sense of all the overwhelm of all the options out there or finding things, you know, for your body when it's been always a a negative experience to try on clothes, you know, working through all those things, so. (laughs) So that is my question on a, on a personal level, how Mm -hmm. do you navigate the overwhelm right now? Because when I was in fashion, it was not nearly as overwhelming as it is right now. Um, This was like right when Instagram was coming out and Mm -hmm. nowhere near the uh, volume of online shopping that it is today. So Mm -hmm. how, and it's something that I'm constantly looking at in my life right now, how do you navigate that with clients? Just keeping it really simple, but also the, the freedom to shop around without feeling totally burnt out or overwhelmed in the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's important to do a lot of work before you even get to the process of shopping. Um, And I think that's kind of where people jump in and feel overwhelmed because they haven't done the pre-work kind of to get there, which is Um, you kind of need to know that aesthetic style that you're drawn to. You need to know, like, do you like clothes that fit close to your body? Do you like things that are loose and flowy? Do you like, um, you know, light colors, dark colors? Do you like prints, patterns? Um, Do you like dresses or pants or, you know, or a little bit of both, you know, of everything, like, but just having some awareness of, I always say for my clients, you need to have this sense of like, you know, what's for you. And so when you see something that's real cute, but it's not for you, you can say good for her, not for me. You know, this like Amy Poehler quote, which is like, 
that's awesome. That looks great on that Instagram influencer. That's not for me. That's not my style. Um, and so that for me starts with style inspiration, with building a Pinterest board um, and getting kind of a sense of the things that you constantly are drawn to over and over visually. Um, and so that's the, the starting point. And then you have to kind of do a little bit of an inventory of, of what you already have um, and see which things maybe don't align with that. And then maybe there are things that you need to create that look that are missing. Um, you need to make a shopping list. You need to be very specific and very intentional about what it is you're looking for. So in, in order, you know, in terms of answering your question, the only way to cut through the overwhelm is to be very specific about knowing what you're looking for and filter out the rest. Mm. And that, yeah, yeah. And that, that'll do it for you. If you know, I always say like, for instance, many people will say, well, I need to go shopping because I need clothes for work. And so they will go shopping with this intention of finding clothes for work. And, and I put that kind of mentally in quotes, like clothes for work, because that's not, that's nothing. How are you going to know what you're looking for? Mm -hmm. You need to say, actually, I need, do you need tops? Do you need bottoms? Do you need, and if you, let's say we're going to find tops, like how, how do you want the sleeve to look? Do you want a print or a pattern? Do you want it to fit close to your body? Do you want the neckline to be V or scoop? Um, you know, what fabric content do you want? Do you want it to be machine washable? All of these things. And so you can see once you kind of narrow down the field by going through all those criteria, there's, there's actually quite few things that fit into your parameters and then you can kind of make a choice from those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's such a great tool to get really specific and really honest. And also that probably cuts out so much of the unnecessary mental energy and mm -hmm. just the rumination around trying to figure all of that out and the scrolling and also just like that, mm -hmm. the mental uh, energy kind of that's running in the background of mm -hmm. trying to figure those things out as well too. I, I love that. What, just kind of bringing it back to body changing and shopping and also creating less overwhelm in this process, any tools or skills or pieces of advice that you would offer when your body is in that point of change, but you do want to be specific and less overwhelmed and you aren't mm -hmm. really sure about the sizes and you don't yeah. want to have like 20 boxes stacked up in your, in your, um, bedroom. Is that something mm -hmm. that you just kind of, uh, grin and bear it or are there other ways? Yeah, no, you grin and bear it. Yeah. I mean, so I'm, gr I'm glad that, that, that phrase came up in your question. Cause I think one thing that people, um, again, expect, and it's again, shifting these expectations that you have is that, that you should be able to go online figure out your size, order something, it should be sent to your house and it works. And I like to tell my clients 10% of what you try on is going to work for you because, you know, manufacturers are rolling things out on factory lines to fit the average of as many possible people. Like they're not making things to fit your body. They're making things that will cover as many different bodies because they just want to sell. They just want to sell things. Um, and the more people it fits, like approximately the more sales they can make. And so um, when you, for instance, in that example, if we were talking about worktops and you decided exactly what all the parameters you are uh, that you need for that top, you're gonna still need to order five or six versions of it to find which one is gonna work for you. And if your body is changing, and even if it's not, because unfortunately, thanks to the patriarchy, one of the things that they keep us busy with is the fact that standardized sizing is, is, is nowhere to be found. And mm -hmm. so in every store and 
within every store, often you're a different size and different items. Um, and so we're constantly guessing, um, we're constantly not sure, we're constantly feeling bad if we don't feel in, fit into a size that we think we should. Um, and so the only way for me to kind of frame that is that this is just a messed up system and none of it has anything to do with you. I mean, the fashion industry has got many, many, many issues. Um, and so just knowing that it's all about making money and, and capitalism and, and knowing that that has nothing to do with the shape or size of your body um, and trying to work within that unfortunate system as much as possible. And so my advice is always to take your measurements, try and be neutral about your measurements, try to um, look at your measurements as a tool for finding clothes that will make you feel good, trying not to assign morality to the numbers, um, and then using those measurements to um, check the size guides of brands when it's possible. And while you're doing that, knowing that that's never going to be exactly right. And so ordering a couple of sizes and knowing when the 20 boxes come to your room, that it's going to be normal for you to try 50 things and to have one or two work. And I just think too many of us are devastated when that happens because we feel like the expectation is whatever we try should work. And that's just not the case for anyone. For anyone, right. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it's, I, I, I mean, I don't think anybody has that experience of every time I order something, I love it and it fits exactly mm -hmm. like I hoped it would. It's just one of the, um, one of the downfalls of, mm -hmm online shopping and mm -hmm. capitalism. And one of the things, Daisy, that you're mentioning that I think is really mm -hmm. important to mention is the system of this, mm -hmm. that this is a capitalistic system that we are attaching our worthiness to. Mm -hmm. And in turn, and this is also where we can really see a lot of parallels between uh, diet culture and the mm -hmm. fashion industry as well, too, because yep. we're attaching our worthiness to our clothing pieces, which are really rooted in a system. It has nothing mm -hmm. to do with the emotion. Um, mm -hmm. Not to say that those clothing pieces can't bring you emotions through the experiences, but it really is like the foundation is system systemic. And then mm -hmm. diet culture is the same way too, being sold that your body has to say a certain size um, based on these companies who are making billions of dollars off of selling you that message through, you know, generation to generation. And it's just, mm -hmm. it's messy, it's tangly. And I mm -hmm. think being able to name when our worthiness is wrapped up in this and going a level deeper into, and it's attached to a system. Am I willing to attach my worthiness to a system and really recreating a belief around that for ourselves mm -hmm. is so important. Yeah, I, I thank you for that comparison. It, it is so connected. Um, and, you know, and diet culture is all about, you know, here's the thing that's going to make your life better. And here's the thing. And if you just buy this thing, and if you just buy this program and, and fashion's the same way, you know, and that's why I really want people to start from a place of what they need without listening to those external marketing advertising messages, because that's always going to be telling you that you're not okay that you need something new and different and better. And this will be the thing that will make you feel good about yourself. And none of that is ever true. And, and it has to start, you know, it has to start from inside. Um, and it's tough. Yeah. It's really hard. 
Yep. Uh, it's so important though. I'm glad we're talking about it. Okay. Before you go, because I know we're, mm -hmm. we're coming up on time. Where do you like to shop? What are your, what are your favorite places that you personally like to shop at? And for mm. your community, what are brands mm -hmm. or online retailers that you often recommend as just really great shopping places and experiences? Well, that is such a hard question because it is so dependent on someone's aesthetic style and their body size and all kinds of different things, but I'll just, um, and for myself, um, I'm super duper freaking picky. Like it's a really hard, which I, which I think is a good thing. I mean, I was like just we going to say about, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it is a good thing. Cause we were talking before about like, it would be odd if everything you ordered came to you and you liked it and wanted to keep it. And what I would say about that is that would tell me that someone's not being picky enough. That would tell me that they're keeping clothes and paying money for clothes that they actually are not going to wear. Don't really like that much. Cause that's just not possible. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so for me, I love, um, I mean, I definitely love some of my like ethical retailers. I do. sew some of my own clothes, um, which is extremely frustrating and a pain in the butt, but sometimes that's what it takes. Um, I, for clients, I definitely love making the process online as simple as possible. And so I love retailers where we can get a wide variety of things all from one place. So I do do a lot through Nordstrom because they have a wide range um, of sizes and they have a wide range of styles. Um, also Zappos is a place that most people just kind of connect with shoes, but they also have clothes. And it's, again, I'm for online, I really am like, looking for places that are kind of easy to order from, easy to return, mm -hmm. um, to, to make that process of trying things on and returning them easier because the, the reality is you're gonna do a lot of returning. Um, and then, you know, I love brands like Universal Standard, um, you know, places that have like a really lovely, like size inclusivity is, is really important. Um, I love Eileen Fisher. It's a company that has a lot of um, size inclusivity and also um, very high ethical standards. Um, yeah, lots of places. And, and for myself, I often will be looking for a specific thing and wherever I find that thing, that's where I'm gonna buy it. You know, I'm not so picky about where it comes from, but I know if I've thought about the, the parameters of the item that I wanna buy and if I find something that ticks those boxes, that means I'm more likely to wear it. And so I'm less concerned about where it came from. Mm, love that. Well, thank you so much, Daisy. I could keep talking to you, but I want to be mindful of our time. And you just showed up and gave so much value and so much truth. And I just really appreciate you spending time with us today. And um, where can everybody find you? I would love to just give you some time to share anything that you have coming up or how people can easily get connected with you. Yeah, so um, you can find me um, online. My, my website is mindfulcloset.com and I'm on Instagram at mindfulcloset. Um, I'm always taking new one-on-one -on -one clients. Um, and then just twice a year, I run a, a small group program called Making Space. And that um, is actually gonna be um, launching at the end of September and the course will be starting in October. So that's something that's coming up for me. And that is always a super meaningful experience to have a small group of women kind of going through this process together, being open and vulnerable. And again, feeling that support and also the shared experience that, that they're all kind of having similar feelings is it's always really, I, I love it. It's so fun. Amazing. We will link everything in the show notes to keep it super simple, but 
thank you so much for spending time with us and your truth. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Caitlin. It was totally my pleasure. I loved talking to you and love all the, the performing arts stuff that came in. That was really yes, fun. Definitely. That's our show. Thank you for spending time with us today. Our show producer is Stephanie Olea. Shayla Anderson is our community manager. For more information around healing your own relationship with food and body image, click the show notes and you'll find direct links to our guests plus resources and more. If this conversation resonated with you, please leave a review and share it with a friend so that we can continue to heal and empower these important topics around our relationship with food and body. Sending you so much love, confidence, and strength. I'll see you next week for another episode.